Father, I thank you so much for your son Jesus, who, who you gave for us. And I thank you that, uh, that he willingly came and he, he died for our sins and rose from the dead. And uh, that because of Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. And Father, I thank you that you revealed that tremendous, wonderful truth in your word, in the gospel. And Lord, that you also use your word to, to build up your church, to, to grow us in respect to salvation. And I pray you would do so today, that you would take your word and work in our hearts that which is pleasing, and so that uh, you would be greatly glorified in our responses today. So we thank you for this time, and we commit it to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are a uh, fallen people. We are a forgetful people. Uh, I forgot just right now to bring up a sheet of paper that I had some extra notes on. We're forgetful people. And sometimes those things we forget to have little consequence, and sometimes they have great consequences. Uh, I used to be a corporate pilot. I still do a little flying, and there are things that if you forget while you're flying that can be of little consequence, and there are things that if you forget them can be of great consequence. There are things that we do that... uh, there There are times where we forget things, and within that there isn't much of an issue But the reality is, in our Christian walk, there are things that God wants us to remember. And if we don't remember them, there are consequences to not remembering them. And today, we're going to get a a reminder from from a good shepherd, the Apostle Peter, concerning some things that we need to remember, and that God wants us to, and he shares it through Peter. Would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3? And we are moving through our study of 2 Peter. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 today. And we're going to see how we can escape the danger that false teachers pose as Peter exhorts us to remember the Word of God. Now, the context of the book of 1 Peter, if you haven't been here, Peter is writing to believers, and he shares in chapter 1 that they have a like faith of the apostles. You see, anyone who is trusted in Jesus Christ has the same faith. We've trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. And this book is simply about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is simply about that. And within that, Peter shares the tremendous truths uh, throughout this book concerning growing in the grace of our Lord. He shares in chapter 1 that we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge uh, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've given everything we need. We've been given his, his precious and magnificent promises. We have the Spirit-empowered Word of God that enables us to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we saw in chapter 1 that he calls true believers to, by faith, act upon the truth in which they have received. And if we're acting upon it, we should be changing. There should be things going on in the lives of true believers. And he gives a list of things that if they are yours and you possess them, you are neither unfruitful or, 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 or without... Uh, you're neither unfruitful or... or useless in your relationship with jesus christ he shares that we should be growing and manifesting moral excellence knowledge uh, self-control perseverance godliness brotherly kindness and love and if these things are ours and are increasing that renders us neither useless or unfruitful in our relationship with jesus and then peter reminds them as we'll see today in chapter one that he is always ready to remind them, to stir them up by way of reminder of the realities of the scriptures, the truth of God, that we grow 
and our relationship with Jesus with. And then after that, he shared the truth that God's word is more sure. It's more sure than any experience, even an experience the apostle Peter had on the Mount of Transfiguration. The written word is more sure. So which we do well to pay heed to it. We do well. We do beautifully, the word really speaks of, to pay attention to God's word. And then we saw in the end of chapter 1 that we should know something, first of all, first and foremost, that no prophecy of the written word, Scripture, becomes one's own personal interpretation. Why? Because no prophecy ever came from an act of human will. But men, moved by the Spirit of God, spoke from God. And so within this, we have the 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 exhortation to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord through the Word of God, which builds us up as we walk by faith with Jesus. And then we move to chapters 2 and 3, and chapters 2 and 3 really have to do with the threats to our relationship with Jesus Christ, the threats to our relationship with Him. He shares in the beginning that there will be false uh, teachers who will arise among you. There's going to be bad guys. There's going to be bad guys who are going to mess with you and the Word of God in the church. False teachers will arise among you, and he shares that many will follow them. Many will follow. A lot of believers are going to get caught up following bad guys. But God doesn't miss a beat. These bad guys, their judgment is from long ago. It is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And then in chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, He gave an explanation. He shared some examples of how God had already previously brought forth judgment. First of all, on those angels who had crossed a line during the time of Noah. Secondly, upon the entire world at the time of Noah, he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And third, he brought a destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah as an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. And so within that, he then gives a summary. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. He says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And then he says, verse 10, especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. You know what? He's going to keep non-believers under judgment to the day of wrath, to the day of their judgment. And, and, And yet there are some within that that are even more wicked, especially those who do these things, indulge in the flesh, and in its corrupt desires and despise authority. And then from verses 10 to the end of the chapter, uh, the apostle Peter, inspired by the Spirit, gives a description, first of all, internally what these bad guys are like, what you can't see, but what God wants us to know. And then secondly, uh, how we can spot them as believers. We can actually spot them so that we can be protected from them. And so first of all, we saw that their, that their, their, their motives underneath, what was going on, God revealed this. We can't see this in people, but God wanted to show us this. He says in the middle of verse 10, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. These are greedy fakers, as we'll see on their way to hell. They are apostates who knew the right way in the Lord, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but have internally turned from him. They never came to faith, but they knew the truth. Turned from him back to their old sinful ways. And now they are faking a relationship with Jesus to deceive believers into following them and their own lusts. And yet they do that by molding and twisting the word of God, luring unstable souls because they love the wages of unrighteousness and they revel in their deceptions. We saw that they enjoy and delight in deceiving believers. End of verse 13. 
They enjoy and delight in introducing destructive heresies. They introduce those secretly, verse 1. They lure unstable souls, verse 15. They entice by arrogant, empty, fleshly words, verse 18. They enjoy and delight exploiting in false words, uh, verse 3. They are sneaky, they are stains and blemishes, eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, having hearts trained in greed. And God says to Peter, they are accursed children. And that's what's going on on the inside. We can't see that. But then, as we saw last week, the Apostle Peter shares what we can see to protect us. And indeed, anyone who loves their children would would share those things that are dangerous to protect their children. God loves us. We are his children. And there are dangers to our walk with Jesus. And he loves us so much that he wants to point this out for us so that we would not get sidetracked in growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And believe me, there are a lot of believers who are sidetracked in their relationship with Jesus. But so wonderfully, God warns us of these of these, of these terrible things that will come and arise in the church. And last week we saw that uh, you could spot them, that God identifies them. He used two illustrations. He said they are springs with no water. They're like this spring, this source of water. It appears as though you're going to be refreshed. You're going to get a, a sermon. You're going to get the word of God. It's going to build you up. But underneath it, there's no water. There's no water. They are mists driven by a storm. You, you, you believe that you're going to be fed the word of God and you leave with a little mist on your, on your arms. They're mists driven by a storm. And then we saw within that how they do that. Verse, nine, verse 18 of chapter 2. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. They subtly lure, as, and I said they would be among you, they lure believers by your own desires. That's how they do it. They lure by your own desires. You may hear a lot about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because as we saw, they knew the truth about this Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You'll see that in verses 19 through 21. They knew it, but they turned away on the inside. They know about salvation. They will promise freedom, as we see in that portion. We saw it last week. But internally, they are slaves to corruption. They're slaves to corruption. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. You'll hear a lot about Jesus, a lot about Christianity, a lot about morality, but you're never ultimately fed the word of God, which convicts you of sin. We need to be convicted. I'll tell you that. I do. We need to be then corrected and then trained in righteousness, taught the word of God. They are springs without water, and they lure you in your flesh to think you're okay with God when you really aren't. You think your walk is right with Jesus, but it really isn't at that time. And these, the bait these false teachers lay in their traps is that which pulls upon your own desires. Maybe the desire to get out of a difficult situation. Maybe the desire to ease the pressure. The desire to fulfill your needs. It's not desires to do outwardly wicked things because they actually promise freedom, but they don't deliver that. And so they lay the trap. They promise freedom in Christ, as we see in that passage. And in context, they are the ones who are actually in bondage on their way to hell. And the freedom they they promise you puts you in temporal bondage if you're a true believer. Your walk with Jesus is temporarily derailed. Yes, you're still a believer, but you're not growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these false teachers, having pretended to follow Jesus, knew the way of righteousness. 
They outwardly appear to be following him, and they appear to have escaped the corruption of the world, but yet they are apostates who have internally been overcome by sin, their greed, their wickedness, and have turned back to us. Even the illustration that Peter gives in the end of chapter 2, they've returned to their own vomit. They actually pretended to follow the Lord. They still pretend so. They knew the truth. They identified with it. They sort of cleaned up their act a little bit. And then they turned internally back to their sinfulness like a dog returning to his own vomit or a sow uh, returning to the, to the mire, right? And so we saw in chapter 2 the truth concerning the motives of these people and then their actions, their modus operandi. So with that in mind, we begin chapter 3 where Peter continues to warn us about the dangers that will come to our relationship with Jesus Christ, to every believer's relationship with Christ. Second Peter chapter 3, and we're only going to look at, when I, the whole chapter is one big block, and I, I wish we could teach the whole thing, but we just can't. Um, it's all together, so remember that. Um, but we're only going to look at the first four verses, and we're just going to barely touch verse 4 today, and then we'll go after that next week, Lord willing, to the rest of it. But let me read, and we'll read farther than our passage today just to get a little context for us. He says here, This is now, beloved, Second Peter 3 verse 1, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And that's where we're going to finish today. But let's keep reading. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth, by his word, are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise... We are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Now, like as I shared in chapter 2, chapter 3 is one big unit. And we are artificially stopping today at verse 4, but it it goes on. You could actually read beyond this to the end of the chapter. It is all together. So with this in mind, how are we to avoid the danger that these 
false teachers, these, these, these terrible apostates who pretend to be those following Jesus, who will derail your walk with Jesus, who are, who are clouds or, or, or springs without water, uh, uh, misdriven by a storm. How do we avoid them? How do we avoid them? Well, I think, first of all, Peter's going to say we need to remember what God has spoken to us through his word, and I believe it's concerning these things. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Peter reminds them this is the second letter that he is writing to them. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing. We have First Peter and we have Second Peter. This is the second letter I am writing you, he says. I am writing to you. We know First Peter was the first letter, and this is the second one. And notice he calls them beloved. He says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing. At this point, Peter, Peter has been not, not spoken of these believers as beloved. Uh, he is he is now, or excuse me, now at this point he is speaking of them as beloved, i.e. those who are deeply loved. And we're going to find um, in chapter 3, apart from calling the Apostle Paul our beloved brother, that he's going to give four specific encouragements or exhortations to the believers. And each one he's going to preface with this term, beloved. We see here in our portion uh, beloved, we see it in verse 1, verse 8, verse 14, and verse 17. He is talking to those who are true believers, who are loved by God and loved by Him. He cares for them. He cares for them. And He is saying, Beloved, this is something you need to hear. This is something you need to respond to. You think about someone who is very dear to you, and when they come to you and with that heart, Beloved, they want to share something that is important. They love you. They care for you. And He's saying, Beloved, beloved. Indeed, we saw the same thing in 1 Peter. When he was making an important charge to believers, he would say, Beloved, 1 Peter 2, 2, 11. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing. It's going to be seriously intense, beloved, but God loves you. He is working through these things to his glory as you trust in Christ. He deeply loves the Lord and the body of Christ, and he is admonishing the, blo- the beloved by him and by Christ, to do something that will protect them spiritually, that will protect them in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, verse 1, this is now, beloved, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. The term stirring up speaks of being woken up, aroused from sleep, it came to speak of things that were stirred up. You could think of, you know, the, the ocean or, or the Sea of Galilee during the storm stirred up. I'm stirring up your sincere mind. I want to wake you up. I want to wake you up. Hold your fingers in chapter 3 and turn back to chapter 1. Remember what he said earlier in verse 13? Look at what he said in verse 13 in chapter 1. He said, and I consider it right. As long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, he's saying, hey, as long as I'm alive, I'm in this tent, this body of flesh, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is intimate, as our intimate, imminent as our Lord, as also our Lord Jesus has made, Christ has made clear to me. 
and I will be diligent at any time after my de- and excuse me and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you may be able to call these things to mind. Well, there's no retirement here for shepherds. He, he's he's going to preach and remind them till he goes to be with the Lord. He's a faithful servant of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, we can become spiritually lethargic, lazy, or sleepy. And he says back in chapter 3, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind. Now this term translated sincere is an interesting word in Greek. It literally means that which is tested by the sun. That which is tested by the sun. And what they would do at the, at the local you know, sales areas where the merchants, they would sell pottery. And if they were unscrupulous merchants, they, if they had a crack in the pottery, they'd fill it with wax. And so what uh, people would do, would they would take the pot and they would hold it up to the sun. And you could see if there was a crack there. You could see if it was genuine or not. And he says here, I am stirring up your sincere, your genuine, or your pure minds at your thinking by way of reminder. Believers, we can have minds and thinking that is genuine and pure in Christ. We can have renewed thinking. We can think the way that God wants us to think. We can think his truth and his ways apart from the way we used to think before we were in Jesus. We can have renewed minds. He says, I'm stirring up your sincere minds by stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I'm waking up your sincere and, and genuine mind. I'm writing this second letter to you. I'm waking you up. I want you to be thinking. I'm waking up your sincere minds by way of reminder. And notice we saw a minute ago back in chapter 1, verse 15, and I will be diligent after also, I will also be diligent that after any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. He's going to be diligent to remind them of the truth so that you can bring to mind those truths at any time. You see, Peter genuinely loves these believers. And God genuinely loves us. And he wants us to be reminded, to not forget those things that we need to be reminded of. He's reminding them of the truth of God. And the first step to not being entangled by those who would, who would so subtly lure us by our own desires, saying all the stuff they say about Jesus, but really not bringing forth what we need, the first step is being reminded of the truth of God. You see, false teachers are going to twist, lessen, pervert, mold, ignore. They're going to mock the word of God. They're going to appeal to your desires. They're going to appear as though they're a spring bringing forth everything you need in Christ, but it's empty, there's nothing there. And we need to be reminded of the word. We need to be reminded of what God has said in the past and what he has said now through his word. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Look at verse 2 now. That you should remember... The words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. He's saying, I'm stirring up your sincere mind that you should remember two things. The words previously spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment 
spoken through the apostles, that of the Lord and Savior. That you should remember the words, first of all, spoken by the apostles. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 19. Remember what Peter said earlier? Chapter 1, verse 19. And by the way, to remember something implies that you have heard it already, right? To remember something implies that you understand and know of it, right? He says in 1 Peter 1.19, So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well or, or you do beautifully to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, no prophecy of Scripture. Scripture means written word is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And Peter says, you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. They were false prophets. They weren't holy. And then there were God's prophets who were holy. They were holy. They were righteous in Christ because they believed in the seed of Abraham who would come and die for their sins on the cross. They believed in the Lamb of God who would take away their sins. The one who would come, and he did come. They believed in the seed of Abraham the one in whose all the nations will be blessed with the offer and opening of salvation. He says that you remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. Well, what is it that the holy prophets spoke of that they should remember? I think we're going to see in context, he's pointing to the warnings that he's going to speak of here, that people will arise. And I think he's going to say the same thing concerning what the apostles warned us of. Look at here, and we'll look at that back in a minute. He says, and the commandment, second half of two, of our Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. The holy prophets, the words spoken beforehand by them. And secondly, the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. You see, the Lord brought forth the word and he gave it to his apostles, his sent ones, and they brought forth the word of God. But what is he talking about here? What does he mean by this commandment of the Lord that we should remember? How can we remember it if we don't know what it is? What is he talking about? He says, in the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Well, first of all, we gain some insight by how it's qualified here. The commandment of the Lord and Savior. You see, remember, this letter begins by speaking of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, verse 1. He speaks of the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 11. He speaks of the false teachers who have known the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but yet didn't trust in him, chapter 2, verse 20. He concludes the letter in chapter 3, verse 18, that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Lord of Lords. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. God the Son is Lord of all. He is the Lord of all. And see, you need to believe that he's Lord. You need to understand that. You can't get saved unless you believe that, by the way. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. That's where your heart is. From our mouth comes our, our heart, what's in our hearts. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. You believe he is the Lord. 
But not only must you believe that Jesus is God, that he is the Lord, that he is the Lord of the universe, you must also believe that he is the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. You see, the name Jesus, Yeshua, means Yahweh, and then Yeshua, Yahweh saves. The Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. God is the one who saves. And it is Jesus who brings salvation. You see, we are all sinners. And God will judge and punish sinners eternally because he's holy. He's a righteous judge. And there is only one way to be saved from God's holy and righteous wrath and judgment. It is through the Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, God the Son took on human flesh. He lived the perfect life And he went to the cross and bore our sins in his body on the cross. He died for our sins. He paid the penalty and rose from the dead. He is the only Savior. He is the Savior of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Lord and Savior. So Peter is reminding them, stirring them up, that they would remember not only the words spoken by the holy prophets beforehand, we'll look at that in a minute, but the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by his apostles. Do you remember the Great Commission? Turn to Matthew 28. Now, we we often apply the Great Commission to ourselves, and that's partially true, but primarily the Great Commission was to the apostles, and you'll see that in a minute. It does apply to us, too. But primarily, it was to the apostles. Turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Very end of the book of Matthew. Matthew 28, verse 16. This is after Jesus had risen from the dead and had appeared to many already. Matthew 28, 16. But the 11 disciples, notice what he says, the 11 disciples, now Judas had, had committed suicide. He was a son of perdition. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, literally in your going, or as you go, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, that's the main verb, make disciples. But then there's two I-N-G words, baptizing and teaching. That's how disciples are made. He says, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You never disciple non-believers. You disciple those who have outwardly identified that they've trusted in Jesus Christ. You can teach a non-believer the word of God for years. What they need is the gospel. Make disciples, baptizing, affirming the reality that they are truly saved, that they identify with Jesus. And then, notice what he says. He says, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To make disciples, you teach believers to observe and obey all that Jesus did and said, right? It's about Jesus and his word, right? You see, and the apostles brought forth, they were the sent ones, they brought forth his word. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. The apostle Paul has made it clear that uh, believers have the tremendous blessings. Every blessing is in the heavenlies, everything there, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and, and he has prayed for them. And within that, he moves to chapter 2, revealing what they had been and who they were, dead in their transgressions and sins, but now made alive together with Christ, 
having been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he begins to share the tremendous reality of how God has brought to, into, in, into the body of Christ Gentiles and how he did that. And then look down in chapter 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Hey, you're not outside, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You're believers. You're in God's household. Having been, notice this, built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, growing, is, growing, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you're being built up together as a dwelling into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. God brought forth his word through his son Jesus who brought salvation, and his apostles and the prophets brought forth the word to which we are built up on Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And so back to our passage in first, second Peter 3. So what are the, the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets? What are the, what's the command that we are to remember? What is that? Verse 2, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord, Savior spoken by the apostles. Well, concerning the commandment, it could be referring to the holy commandment delivered to the false apostles back in chapter 2, verse 21, that they rejected. It could be referring to the gospel. Certainly in the context, that's possible. And I can't say for sure, but I believe in light of the entire context of chapters 2 and 3, that, and what Peter will say in the very next verse, uh, that we need to realize that it has to do with warnings concerning those who would come. Notice verse 3. He says here, instead of, some of your versions say no, but it's really knowing. It's very important to understand. Some of your versions might say knowing in verse 3 of chapter 3. Some say knowing, I-N-G. Some say no. Now, if you know English language, it's amazing. I know because I was terrible in English, but God's gracious. The reality is a participle doesn't stand on its own. I don't say running to the store. I say I was running to the store. You see, and so chapter verse three is connected to what he says in verses one and two. So he says that you should remember what the holy prophets spoke beforehand. You should remember the commandment, uh, the Lord and Savior that, that was brought forth by the apostles, knowing something that mockers will come. So we need to remember what God has said because something's going to happen. Because something's going to happen. I think that's what's going on here. It's connected that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles, literally knowing this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Do you see the connection? I'm stirring you up a way of reminding your sincere minds that you would remember what God said beforehand through the holy prophets and what the Lord and Savior spoke through the apostles, knowing first of all, bad guys are coming. And they're going to be mocking God's word. You need to know something. You need to remember something because bad guys are coming. You know, what's interesting is I think what helps me really understand this is a parallel portion in the book of Jude. Turn up to Jude. It's right before, it's right before uh, Revelation. Jude verse 17. This really kind of solidifies this idea of what I think he wants us to remember. Jude 17. And notice how Jude is really parallel to 2 Peter, by the way. Jude 17. But you, beloved, 
ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by what? The apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And notice what he says, that they were saying to you, in the last days there shall be mockers, following after their own lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. He goes on. You should remember what God said through the apostles. What did he say? In the last days there will be mockers. Well, who said that? That's a quote of Peter, isn't it? That's a quote of verse 3 in our passage, isn't it? We are being called to remember the truth of God, that they're going to be bad guys. Well, when did he speak beforehand through the holy prophets about this? There's a lot of places, but turn back to Deuteronomy 13. Moses, speaking through him, inspired by the Spirit. Moses was called a prophet, by the way. Deuteronomy 13. Where were they warned that someone might come and arise and share bad things? Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, notice the the similar language, arises among you, and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder comes true. Hey, this guy's got some kind of signs he's doing, right? And it's working, it's coming true. Concerning what he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods to whom you have not known, let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God allows false teachers to show you where your heart's at. If you're in a bad church with bad teachers, guess what? Your heart isn't fully loving the Lord. You love what you get out of that church. Your heart is divided. God is testing And here, he says, whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. You shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, and serve him and cling to him. But if that that prophet of dreamer of dreams shall, but that prophet of dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way of the Lord your God. He commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from among you. Did you get that? To seduce you. Sounds like it's pretty obvious what he's saying, but it's in the context of seducing them ultimately to follow these things. We need to remember what God said. They're going to arise. There's many other passages. What about the New Testament? What about the commands spoken by our Lord and Savior? We know that Jesus shared in Matthew 17, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Well, what did he speak through his apostles in regards to this? Turn to Acts chapter 20. What did Jesus speak through his apostles and and command in regards to those who would come, mockers coming, bad guys coming? What did he share in advance? What should we remember so that we do not get caught up and caught off guard? What should we remember? Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on your guard for yourselves, this is to the Ephesian elders, by the way, for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Very, very important. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, notice this, men will arise. They're going to come up from within, speaking perverse things. Why? to draw away the disciples after them. 
Therefore, be on the alert, remembering night and day for a period of three years. I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul was concerned about threats to your walk with Jesus Christ, that you would be derailed and so subtly be following your flesh, thinking you're following Jesus and not growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. What about 2 Timothy chapter 3? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. Paul's last words here to Timothy, his faithful servant in the faith. But realize this, that in the last days, notice this, we're going to look at last days in a little bit also for our passage, okay? In the last days, difficult times will come. We say, we sure know that, don't we? Well, he may, that's totally true, but he's going to speak about some other difficulties here more specifically. Four, he's going to explain. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Right there you'd think, man, I could spot this guy a mile away. But notice what he says. Holding to a form of godliness. They're pretending. Pretending. Although they have denied its power and avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses. Again, and he says, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're, hey, they're hearing everything, but they don't come to the knowledge of the truth. And just as Janus and Jairus opposed Moses, they're opposing leadership, by the way, uh, so these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected as in regards of the faith, but they will not make further progress, and therefore their folly will be obvious to all, as also that of those two came to be. But you, he's speaking to Timothy, followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystrum, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Praise the Lord. And indeed... All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But notice this verse 13. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. In the last days, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. What did we see in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1? There will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. The warnings are clear. But we are forgetful people. We are forgetful people. We forget how God warned his people in the Old Testament through the Holy Prophets. We forget how God warned his people through his holy apostles, commanded them in Christ through the Lord and say, we forget. We forget truth and we become vulnerable. It doesn't mean we focus on one truth to the exclusion of other truths. That's what people that aren't yielded to the spirit do it's a balanced understanding in the, as you follow jesus christ the warnings were clear they're coming they will arise and certainly it's within the context of the church and i believe what we see here in chapter three is the same thing mockers will come folks we need to remember god's word and we need to be reminded because we are forgetful people we are commanded in places, in other places of Scripture, not to forget the Word of God. 
Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We're commanded not to forget. Don't forget. Some things, if we forget them, can be very dangerous to our walk with Jesus. Just like when I fly. If I forget some things, some things don't matter as much. Some things can be life-threatening. We can't forget. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Don't forget it. He's going to go on later and say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But you have to have the word in your heart before you can trust in the Lord. We need to know who we're trusting in and, and what he said and standing on his promises. Don't forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Don't forget. Don't forget. We should be personally reminding ourselves of the word of God. We should. But not only that, we should be under faithful shepherds who are reminding us of the truth of God. You see, if you ever get to the point where you're tired of hearing your pastor say the same thing over and over again, you're in trouble. It is right for godly shepherds to remind the flock of the truth of God. The world and the church is always looking for a new thing or whatever it might be. The worldly church is looking for a new way to do things. But faithful shepherds consider it right to remind you of the word of truth, knowing that's what you are established in and grow within. Look at Romans 15, verse 15. The Apostle Paul kind of summarizes what he's written in the book of Romans. Romans 15, 15. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again. So as to remind you again because of the grace of God that was given me from God. We saw already back in Second Peter chapter 1 that he considered it right to remind them of those things, to stir them up by way of reminder. Forgetting God's truth is a dangerous thing. One last turn back to Deuteronomy. I want to read something in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Forgetfulness is evidenced by a lack of obedience, by the way, as we'll say. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'd love to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read part of it. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And by the way, there are parallels from Israel's physical experience to our spiritual experience, by the way. They're not exact, but there are parallels to their being delivered physically and redeemed and then ransomed and given a good land going into that and, 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 and being blessed in the relationship with the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water and fountains and springs flowing forth of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity in which you shall lack nothing, and a land in which stones are iron and out of those hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. God is going to bless you. Physically speaking, with Israel. Now, he's blessed us spiritually speaking, hasn't he? But notice what he says. Beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinance and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Beware. 
lest you forget. And he goes on. He goes on. There's a lot. You can read it later. That your heart would become proud of verse 14. You forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. By the way, if you're a true believer, we can forget, practically speaking, our redemption in Christ. We can forget that on a daily basis. We can forget, ultimately, our relationship with Jesus. We can just move on our own ways throughout the day. Beware. Beware lest you forget. The Apostle Paul would share in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, I consider it right to remind you of these things. It's a safeguard. And that was concerning false teachers. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. We should be in a place, brothers and sisters, where we are reminded personally in our own Bible study and by faithful shepherds who remind us of the Word of God, Old and New Testament. We need to heed the warnings that God gives seriously that we would not be taken and carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from our own steadfastness. Back to uh, 2 Peter 3. Peter is stirring up them by way of sincere reminder, or sincere minds by way of reminder. He's reminding them, and he's reminding them knowing that something will happen. Look at verse 3. Actually, I'm going to read into it again from verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder so that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. And remember, verse 3 starts with this word, literally knowing. I think the New King James translates it that way. It's a good translation. Knowing, remember these things, knowing, first of all, this first of all, that in the last days... Mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. The context of Second Peter is the false teachers. Men will arise. That's what he's talking about. If you were with us in chapter 2, you saw exactly what he's talking about. Knowing this, first of all, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. He says, in the last days. What does he mean by that? Last days. Well, we might remember his first letter. He revealed that uh, Jesus Christ, having been foreknown before the foundation of the world, has been manifested in these last times. The last days began when Christ came and died for our sins. The last days. He says in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things has come at hand or drawn near. It's here. What's come to, What's come near? Well, we know in 1 Peter chapter 4, right before that, he says, those who are walking in sin, following their own desires, shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Turn to James 5. You see, we're in the last days because Jesus could come at any minute again and bring about, first of all, the removal of his church, and secondly, judgment upon this earth. He could come at any time. But he's patient, not willing for any to perish. That's why he hasn't come. But mockers will mock the truth in relationship to his judgment, by the way. They're going to mock that. Oh, don't worry about that. Everything's going the way it's been going. Nothing's happened. But it escapes their notice that things have happened already by God's word, and it will happen by his word. Look at uh, James chapter 5, verse 8. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts. They were suffering. 
They're suffering. Believers suffer, by the way. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's just right around the corner. It can happen anytime. The only thing stopping it is he's patient and saving people. But the day's going to come. He says, do not complain, brethren, against one another. Hey, let's listen to that, folks. Do not complain against one another. That yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. The, 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 the picture, he's right there, ready to open the door and bring judgment. It's right, it's going to happen. Turn to Romans chapter 13. We are living in the last days. We are living in the last days. We are in the end times. Romans 13. And guess what? In the end times, mockers will come. They're going to come. Romans 13, verse 11. And do this, knowing the time. You've got to know the time, believer. Know the time. Know the time. That it is already the hour for you to waken from sleep. Wake up! For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. When you came to faith... Your ultimate glorification is now closer now than it was when you came to faith. The culmination of our salvation, it is close. And he says here, the night is almost gone. The day of sin and darkness and wickedness, brothers and sisters. The only way that will be completely gone is when Jesus judges. But he's patient. He's waiting. He says, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Scripture is clear about the imminence of Jesus' return. The last days here, the grace of God came first in the appearance of Christ when Christ came and took our sins in his body on the cross. But he will come again. He will come in glory to judge. He will remove his church first. We're not destined for wrath. But he will come again and judge. The night is almost gone And we as believers, we look forward to a new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Not all this sin and all this yuck. We we can't wait till our sinful bodies of flesh are glorified. Glorified. We're in the last days. But what's going to happen in the last days? He says, in the last days, mockers will come with their mockers, mocking, following after their own lusts. And why hasn't Jesus come yet? I refer to it and we'll see it next time, Lord willing. He is, not patient. he is not willing for any to perish, but patient towards you. That He wants us all to come to repentance. He's a gracious God. But that day will come. That day will come. So then in our passage, back in our passage, let's finish up in the beginning of verse 3. Knowing this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. The term mocker is an interesting term, empazio. It's a combination of en, which means in, and piazzo, which speaks of playing like a child. It speaks of making fun of one another. You know? It's one who derides another person or thing. It's a mocking. It actually was translated tricked uh, concerning the magi in Herod back in Matthew chapter 2. Or outwitted. These evil false teachers will mock the word of God. They're going to mock the truth of God more specifically about his coming, more specifically which relates to his judgment on sin and sinners, by the way. These evil false teachers will mock. Underlying the term mocking, same word that was used when they mocked Jesus, the soldiers. 
is a rebellion against God and against his word, a lack of submission. So what's Peter saying? He wants to stir us up our sincere minds by reminding them what was already spoken by the holy prophets and the apostles through, from Christ Jesus, that command concerning bad guys, knowing they're going to come in the last days. They're going to come. And then the rest of this chapter, not all of it, is an example specifically of what it might look like and specifically what they might have seen at that time. We've seen in chapter 2, first of all, their motives underneath. We've seen how they do things. But here is an example of them actually deriding the word of God, following after their own lusts. Remember we saw in chapter 2, many will follow their sensuality about the bad guys. Chapter 2, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Chapter 2, verse 10, they indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires. Chapter 2, middle of verse 13, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Their stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. They're falling after their own lusts. Chapter 2, verse 18, speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they enticed by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escaped, the ones living in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. They promise you freedom in Jesus, but they put you in bondage because they don't give you what you need, which is the word of God. And here, they're going to mock, following after their own lusts. And we'll look at this next time, but notice what they say. They, they, con- they contradict the word of God. Verse 4, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Guess what? They believe in the Jewish fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They believe in creation. Probably these might be Jewish false prophets here. Where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise? You see, what they're doing is they're mocking the word of God. They're mocking the truth of God. They're mocking God, and they're going to come. And next week we're going to see more in depth that Christ's coming in judgment is throughout the word of God that he will come, but he is patient, not willing for any to perish. Notice how they justify their mocking of the word of God. They use what you can see and observe to try and pull you after your own desires. Look around. God hasn't done anything yet. It's all the same. Implying he's not going to do anything. Like the Old Testament false prophets, peace and safety. God's not going to judge you. You're good to go. You can send it up. They don't say that, but that's what they mean. Where is the promise of his coming? Well, we'll look at a lot more passages next time, but I just want to share two specific passages and then we'll finish up. Look at Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6, and you'll see the promise of his coming in relationship to judgment. Isaiah 13, verse 6. Where is the promise? Well, it's in the word of God. And Peter wants you to remember it because they're going to try to point you away from it to what you experience. Where's the promise? Well, it's in the word of God. That's the answer. But they're trying to point you to what you can observe. That's how they do it. Isaiah 13, 6, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp. Every man's heart will, fa- will melt, and they will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will, they will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look 
to one at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. It's going to come. For the stars of the heaven and the constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will, will, will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil. Hey, he's not punishing the world yet. He's patient, not willing for any to perish. But the day will come. The false guys, it's not going to happen. You can live your life the way you want. Look at the way it is. It's okay. No, it's going to come. It's going to come. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will put an end to the arrogance of the proud and the abase and and the, the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind of the gold of, than the gold of Ophar. Therefore I shall make the heavens tremble and the earth shall be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. Where is the promise of his coming? Peter says, the holy prophets spoke about it. You need to listen. Bad guys are coming. Be in the word of God. And the apostles spoke about it too. One last passage. Turn to 2 Thessalonians. We have been saved from God's tremendous wrath. And therefore we should live differently. False teachers want you to forget about that. They lessen it. They they, they delete it. They mock it. They don't talk about sin and God's wrath. They talk about what you can observe. But that's not the truth. Second Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6 For after all, it is only just for God to replay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Notice what the language here. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God to those who do not obey the gospel. God commands you to repent and believe, by the way, and if you don't obey it, you're in trouble. Obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at, um, at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Where is the promise of his coming? It's in Scripture, Old and New Testament. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Don't let people tell you something differently. They willfully overlook the reality that God has judged previously, and they mock the word of God. Tempt you to walk by sight, by your feelings, by what you can see and observe, not by what God has said in his word. We walk by faith, not by sight, brothers and sisters. There's a lot more here, but we've got to stop. There's a lot more. What can we learn? How can we be protected from being tripped up by false teachers? First of all, we need to allow our sincere minds to be reminded of what God has said in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what he has said in his word concerning the warnings of these people, concerning what they might do and how they would do it. And secondly, we need to recognize in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. They will point you to what you can see and observe rather than what God has said in his word. Stay in his word. Be reminded of his word. 
personally and corporately that you and I would be protected from these threats which will arise. Think of any family, a good father, a good parent would warn their children of the things that could hurt them. One who loves their children, and we are beloved by God, and he is warning us because he loves us. Beloved, remember these things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your tremendous love for us. Thank you for the warnings, Lord God. You've put that in your word. You want us to know that in the last days, mockers will come, following after their own lusts. Those who subtly and outrightly and outright mock the word of God. Father, I pray that we would remember what you have brought forth through your holy prophets in your word and what you have brought forth through your apostles, the words of your son, Lord God. We pray that we would remember that we would be protected. Lord, I pray for anyone here who, who doesn't know you, who is on the precipice of your judgment. Lord, you've said in your, your word, you are patient, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I pray that they would turn and believe in Jesus, your son, who died for their sins. And Father, for those of us who are saved, may we not forget your truth. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of your son. And it is in his name we pray.